Gresham College Presents Greater London Is by Dr. Michael Gaffney. The title of this lecture, I think, on the program is something that says London Is? Question mark. Um, this is entirely my fault again because I um, unfortunately went on holidays a couple of weeks ago without notifying people of the title of the lecture, so I think something um, rather open was put in as the title. Um, Obviously, the question of what London is is an enormous one, which I'm not going to attempt to address. I'm going to focus on particular aspects of London today. Um, if we ask the question what London is, obviously London is a city, but cities can be approached in many different ways, as I'm sure these lectures will, will show. Cities can be approached in terms of their size and their population density, in terms of their physical infrastructure, um, in terms of their systems of governance, of their relations with, with central government, and in terms of their economic functions. I think, I hope I'm in keeping with the theme of this series of lectures, a nation, not a city, in that I'm going to be focusing basically on London's people, uh, particular aspects of the lives of London's people, um, the ethnic composition of London's population, um, and the economic position of Londoners. In particular, I want to focus on Londoners who have children, or rather households in London, which include children. Um, and I'll be drawing extensively on uh, a series of briefings which are currently being produced by the Greater London Authority's Data Management and Analysis Group. Uh, some of you may remember the London Research Centre, which was the source for, during the period after the abolition of the GLC and before the foundation of the Greater London Authority, uh, was the main authoritative source of information on London. The London Research Centre was absorbed back into the GLA group when the GLA was set up, and uh, we draw extensively on the expertise, particularly in areas such as census and population, which is provided by that group. We all know that London is distinctive within the United Kingdom in a host of different ways, um, in terms of its size, its scale, in terms of what the city does, in terms of what people work at, in terms of many of the problems that it faces. Some of the distinctive aspects of London are to do with the way it has developed over, the, over time. The most obvious example here being its capital city functions, obviously, for the United Kingdom as a whole, and its role as one of the world's greatest financial centers uh, in the 19th century, beyond a doubt, the greatest financial center the world has ever seen. Other distinctive aspects of London arise from its sheer scale, which is not always well understood, I think. London has a population of 7.2 million, as far as we know at the moment. We have had problems with the 2001 census with population estimates going up and down for various reasons, but I think at the moment we are saying 7.2 million, something in that vicinity anyway. The next largest city in the United Kingdom, to put this in context, is Birmingham, and Birmingham has a population of just under a million. The next largest city in Europe is Madrid, which has a population of 4.7 million. Now, Immediately, whenever you try and make this kind of comparison, problems start arising. Are you comparing like with like? Is it fair, for example, to compare London with Birmingham? Uh, London is, after all, a vast area, the, the entire area bounded by the, the Greater London Boundary. Birmingham is actually the area uh, which is governed by the Birmingham City Council. Much, much smaller area. doesn't include uh, many of the uh, built-up areas which are actually physically linked to Birmingham. Um, these kind of problems arise for those of us who work on, um, on data and statistics about London all the time. It is actually very, very hard to find reasonable comparators out there 
for a city which is unique in so many ways. Nonetheless, the point about sheer scale of London in relation to the rest of the United Kingdom and other cities in the United Kingdom, this point is not greatly changed, even if we compare London to, for example, the entire West Midlands metropolitan area. Uh, London still remains unique in terms of scale within the UK and within Europe. Because of its scale, London is also, of course, not just a city, it's also a region in its own right, has been for, for some time. Um, inner London alone, um, on the uh, European Union's definition of inner London, um, accounts for about 40% of London's population. But in population terms, it's comparable in scale to the northeast of England or to Wales. It's, I think, slightly bigger than the northeast, slightly smaller than Wales. So inner London alone, with only 40% of London's population, is actually larger than one of the other regions of uh, the United Kingdom. Again, this creates problems when we're trying to do comparisons between London and other parts of the country. Um, because while in population terms, London is clearly comparable to and actually bigger than many regions in the rest of the UK, it is very different from them in the sense that no other region consists solely of a built-up urban area, which is what London is. It's a city and it's a region. So some of the features which make London distinctive when you compare London with other regions of England are somewhat less distinctive when you compare London with other cities in England. So in this lecture, I'm going to try, where possible, um, to mix comparisons between London and other regions with comparisons between London and other cities as well and with local authorities in London compared to local authorities elsewhere. Um, any comparison is going to miss out part of the picture. If you compare London to Birmingham on certain variables, it look very similar. But we're missing out on very important differences in the scale. There's also the fact that the Birmingham City Council area is more directly com comparable with inner London than greater London. Interregional comparisons have an advantage in terms of the populations are more comparable in terms of size, but they're subject to this caveat that we're comparing a solely urban area with much more mixed areas. Let's start with London's ethnic composition. Um, I should point out that the data from the 2001 census is currently being processed by the census team at the GLA. Um, not all the information that we're going to get from the 2001 census is yet available, um, and the information which has become available, much of it has not yet been analyzed. So we're at, from, from a number crunchers point of view, quite an interesting point where we're beginning to see a vast increase in how much we know about London's population and society from the 2001 census, but it's still very early stages and some very, very basic pieces of analysis are now beginning to appear. Uh, one of the first of which is analysis of London's ethnic composition, which is um, changing over time. The 2001 census divides the population into a number of broad categories, which are basically white, mixed, Asian or Asian British, black or black British, Chinese or other. And then within these very, very broad categories, which are not very useful for analysis, we have uh, the more relevant population groups which people assign themselves to. So, for example, the Asian group consists of uh, people of Indian, Pakistani, uh, Bangladeshi, and other Asian extraction. The black group consists of um, black Caribbeans, uh, black Africans, and others. Uh, the white group consists of British, uh, other white, and for the first time, I'm pleased to say, Irish in the 2001 census. Um, I should point out that these categories from the 2001 census are ethnic categories rather than national categories. 
So, for example, in this context, somebody who is black African in the census, that is, who has ticked the black African box on the ethnicity part of the census form, could be born in Africa, could be born in the UK, could indeed be born in absolutely anywhere in the world. Um, there is obviously a question as to whether the, the ethnic categories which are provided by any survey or any census really correspond properly to how people view themselves, their own views of identity and so on. And the 2001 census innovated on the previous census by including a question on religion, which um, for some groups may actually be a more relevant categorization in terms of their lived experience and their personal identity than ethnic categories. There's also, of course, the, the problem that London is by far the most diverse um, city in the UK in terms of the ethnic mix of its population. I'll say some more about that later on. But it creates a constant problem for those of us who work on London. Um, because London is so much more diverse, because there are so many more populations represented in significant numbers in London, the census ethnic categories, while they are getting better and becoming more detailed, still fall very, very far short of what would be needed to really pick out all the groups which in different parts of London make up significant parts of the population. So, for example, the, uh, the census category of white other will include um, Australians, Americans, and so on, who, um, who categorize themselves in, in that way, but will also include many people of Arab extraction. Um, it will include uh, both Turkish and Greek Cypriots and so on. Um, these groups are not being picked up by the census, um, except through um, a voluntary question where people actually can enter a description which they feel is more appropriate. Because this is voluntary, it's not statistically quite as robust as the, the uh, obligatory questions, the mandatory questions of the, the main census. So although we're getting uh, a tidal wave of new information about London and London's population through the 2001 census, there are still matters of considerably more than detail which we would like to know more about. Having said that, let's have a look at what the, in broad terms, the 2001 census has started to tell us. First of all, as I've said, taken as a region, London is by far the most ethically diverse area in the United Kingdom. Again, the caveat comes in. As a region, of course, London is the most ethnically diverse uh, part of, of Great Britain because it's a city, and we're comparing a city with regions. Cities tend to be more diverse. So we need to ask, you know, how does London compare with other cities as well as how it compares with other regions? But just to give an idea of the scale of diversity, only 60% of the population of London belongs to the white British group in the 2001 census. 60%. We can compare this with 88% uh, of the population of England and Wales. If we were to compare it with the rest of England and Wales, actually that percentage would go up because London is big enough to make a difference at that level. Uh, but basically we're comparing 60% of London with 88% nationally. Nearly 3 million of this total population, 7.2 million, are from a black or minority ethnic group. Um, or else they are Irish, or else they are in the other white group. And for the purpose of this lecture, I will use black and minority ethnic to single out those groups which are not categorized as white. So it doesn't include the Irish, for example. In inner London, only 50% of the population is white British. 35% belong to black and minority ethnic groups, with the balance being made up by the Irish population and the other white population. How unique is this? 
In terms of the proportion of the population which is not white, Birmingham is the only one of the larger cities which is comparable to London. In Birmingham, the percentage of the population, of the total population, which is from a black and minority ethnic group, is very slightly larger than in London. Um, again, we have problems of comparison. Should we be comparing Birmingham with London? I'd suggest that actually a more appropriate comparison would be comparing Birmingham with inner London, because Birmingham City Council is the, is the core of Birmingham. Um, and in that case, we find, of course, that inner London, where 50% of the population are uh, from a are from a white, the white British group, uh, compares as is actually more diverse uh, than than Birmingham, just on this one variable. Take a couple of other major cities. In Manchester, 19% of the population are black and minority ethnic. In Liverpool, only 6%. Um, Birmingham is also quite a bit ahead of all other cities in all other major cities in Great Britain. Other smaller cities um, show um, are interesting to compare. Um, for example, in Leicester, 37% of the population is from a black and minority ethnic group. Again, we can't compare Leicester directly with London. It's comparing apples and pears. Um, what we can do is we can look at local authority level. We can look at the 33 local authority areas in London. We can compare these with local authority areas in the rest of the country to see how London compares. Um, this is possibly the most appropriate way to actually compare uh, the diversity of populations between different, different administrative units. Um, when we do this, we find that London boroughs, if we rank all local authority districts in England and Wales on the single measure of the percentage of the population which is not white, we find that London boroughs occupy 16 of the top 20 positions on that ranking. So I think it's fair enough to say that um, even when we compare London with other urban areas, uh, with, with areas which have experienced significant immigration over the last uh, 30 to 40 years, London still stands out somewhat in terms of its sheer ethnic diversity. Um, there's also the point that, of course, London's diversity is not just a matter of the percentage, which is not white, but actually the percentage of different groups which are represented. And here London is not really comparable to, to, to other um, cities within the UK. London is not only has a high percentage of, groups, of people in groups which, who are not white, it has a very high representation of all those different groups as well, including the great majority of, of certain groups. So diversity has to be measured on both those dimensions, and on both those dimensions, London comes out as being exceptionally diverse. Nearly half of all ethnic minority inhabitants of England and Wales live in London. This, again, is this issue of scale because of London's sheer size. Uh, if 29% of London's population belong to a black minority ethnic group, this is going to account for a very, very large percentage of the total UK population, or the total Indian and Wales population. Um, okay, London, therefore, it stands out in terms of its ethnic diversity, measured just in terms of the percentage of the population, which is not white, and in terms of the representation of different ethnic groups within, within London. Um, it accounts for nearly half of all black and minority ethnic residents in England and Wales, and the proportion is particularly high for some groups, in particular black groups. 60% um, of all people of black Caribbean extraction in England and Wales live in London. 79% of all people of black African extraction. The percentage of Bangladeshis in London is also very high. This obviously raise the question of which, what direction is London going? Is this diversity a trend which is going to continue over time, or is it something which is going to perhaps start falling away? 
um, in the future. Um, and the answer is that London is becoming more diverse, not less diverse, and we see no reason to expect this trend not to continue. Um, it's important to understand the reasons for this, though. Um, there are three things I think we can refer to. One is the natural growth among London's ethnic minority populations, um, which is simply the excess of births over deaths within those populations, and which is mainly driven simply by the age structure of those populations. Because these groups are younger overall than the white majority population, they will tend to have more births and fewer deaths. Therefore, natural change alone drives much of the increase in London's ethnic minority population. Um, also important is migration, which I'll, I'll say a bit more about in a minute, um, but it needs to be placed in context. The growth of the non-white part of London's population is certainly not mainly driven by migration. A third factor is simply the absolute fall in London's white population. Now, if we look at London's population between 1991 and 2001, this saw a rise in the population of some 300,000. But this 300,000 rise was composed of two things. A fall of nearly 400,000 in London's white population, which was offset by growth among London's black and minority ethnic populations of nearly 700,000. Again, this growth being driven both by natural change and to some extent by migration. The reasons for the rather sharp fall in London's white population, um, we will have to do more work before we can be clearer about this. Um, I did ask one of our census experts before coming here what her view was. She said that it's far too large a change to be explained solely by natural change in population. Um, in other words, the, the excess of deaths over births in the white population is not enough to explain a change of this magnitude. Um, so there is obviously some impact of migration here, which um, if we look at very well-rooted patterns of, of in-and-out migration to London actually makes some sense in terms of the tendency of people at different stages in their lifestyle, life cycle, to when they have kids, for example, to actually move progressively from inner London to outer London, from outer London beyond the greater London boundary but we will have to do more work before we can explain or come to an understanding of why the white population of London is falling so rapidly. 41% of all dependent children in London are from a black minority ethnic group, compared to only 9% in the rest of England and Wales. So we can see that with this percentage of children coming from black minority ethnic groups, we can expect that alone to lead to um, a further increase in the black and minority ethnic share of London's total population over time. In fact, if we look at the projected increase in London's population over the next 15 years, which was done for the, uh, the Mayor's London Plan, 80% of the projected increase in the working age population of London to 2016 is projected to come from black and minority ethnic groups in London. And this is of some importance um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of policy uh, when we look at the economic outcomes that London's black and minority ethnic populations are currently experiencing, which I'll get to later. There are a couple of changes which are particularly worth noting 
emerging from the 2001 census, apart from this overall um, increase in the black minority ethnic share of population. Uh, one is the um, massive increase in London's black African population over the 1990s. The other is the changing ethnic composition of outer London. Take the black African population first. Um, this is now the second largest minority ethnic group in Greater London. As I pointed out earlier on, 79% of all people of black African extraction in <coughs> England and Wales live in London. Um, the Indian population has always been the largest ethnic group in London, but um, the black African population is now the biggest group after the Indian population and has overtaken the black Caribbean group, which was previously the, uh, the largest black group in London. This population has grown by over 100% since 1991. And in numerical terms, this dwarves the growth of all other uh, black and minority ethnic groups in London. And while growth in other minority ethnic groups is mainly driven by natural growth, simply by the excess of births over deaths due to the younger age structure of the population, um, and was therefore predictable, it was known it was going to happen before the event uh, through demographic projections, the growth in the black African population far exceeds what could be accounted for by natural growth. Um, it is driven to a large extent by migration and was therefore not predicted and came as something of a surprise when we started analyzing the data. Um, here we can get some indications of, of um, explanations in terms of data on country of birth of individuals. As I pointed out, the black African category does not tell you where people were born. It's used as an ethnic category but we do also have information on country of birth. And the population of London, which was born in Africa, whether white or black, has increased by 85%, by some 280,000 people since 1991. So what we see here is a, is a significant change in terms of um, migration-driven population change in London. For most other groups, we are still looking at what is essentially natural growth in the population. Um, rather than migration. Within the black African group, while natural growth is still obviously present as an important factor, migration has also been important. The other point I wanted to make was just the changing ethnic composition of outer London. Um, we tend to think of, um, correctly, we tend to think of inner London as being more diverse, as having more minority groups, having a lower percentage of the population from the white British group, um, which is perfectly true. Um, the extent to which Inner London is different from outer London, is beginning to diminish, however. Um, and one of the factors that seems to be driving this is increased movement of um, some older immigrant groups across the inner London boundary. So, for example, uh, if we look at uh, where the black Caribbean population of London is now living, one of the big changes since 1991 is a very, very significant increase in that population in Croydon. This would clearly suggest that people from existing um, areas of black Caribbean settlement in Lambeth are beginning to take what is really this sort of classic immigrant transgenerational career trajectory of moving um, from in inner areas to outer areas, uh, in this case towards adjacent outer areas. Um, and one of, so one of the most striking changes emerging from the 2001 census, when it's compared with 1991, is this very significant growth in the black Caribbean population in outer London boroughs, but not in the most 
outer, the outermost areas of London, but rather in areas which are adjacent to the areas in inner London where there already existed um, very high percentages of that population. As I said at the beginning, I want to talk to some extent about children in London, or rather the households with children. Um, and the motivation for this um, is largely to do with the issue of child poverty in London, which is often not well understood. Um, it's worth recalling the most basic facts at this stage. London um, has got the highest rate of child poverty in the United Kingdom. That is comparing London with other regions and with Scotland and Wales. 35% um, of children in London are living in households falling below the government's poverty threshold. In inner London, 48% of children are living below that threshold. So nearly half the child population in inner London are living in households which are poor. I should explain that the concept of child poverty turns very much on the income of the households in which people live rather than their personal income. So if um, the household in which you live is poor, then everybody living in that household is classified as poor. The children, the working age adults, and the pensioners. 35% um, of all London children are living in households which are categorized as poor, 48% in inner London. Um, and these rather basic facts about London really only start to become apparent um, two or three years ago when regional poverty statistics started appearing um, and obviously led to considerable concern at the, at the Greater London Authority. We published a report last year, around this time last year, called London Divided, which examined the data on, on child poverty in London in, in a bit more detail. And we've now begun looking at what the 2001 census can tell us in somewhat more detail about the factors driving child poverty in London, um, the groups who are affected by it, where they live, um, and other facts about their sort of economic status and employment and so on. The single most important causal factor in explaining child poverty in London as at national level is employment, and in particular whether households have got somebody in employment or not. If a child lives in a household with nobody in employment, then there is an overwhelming chance that that child will be living in, in poverty. Uh, this doesn't mean that working poor households are not an issue in London. There are about 40% of poor households have got at least one person in employment, but 60% don't. And the rate of poverty among workless households is of the order of 95%. So one of the things that we wanted to get from the 2001 census was a much clearer idea of what was happening in terms of households and employment in London, particularly households with children. And this means looking at the labor market in a rather different way to the standard way in which, um, in which economists would look at it. Normally, when economists look at the labor market, we're looking at individuals. Unemployment is measured as an individual category. An individual is unemployed. An individual gets a job, and so on. But when we're looking at poverty and household incomes, we obviously need to look at the household as the main unit. So our first question really is, does an individual live in a household where somebody is in employment or not? Um, the most basic results from this have been recently published in, in this briefing document, um, again drawing on the 2001 census. 
And what it shows is, in some ways, not very surprising. Um, in some ways, surprising. Take the not very surprising part. 23% um, of all households which have children in London have got no adult unemployment. That is nearly a quarter of all households across the greater London area have got no adult unemployment. Um, in inner London, this rises to 31% of all households. As usual, we expect when we compare inner and outer London to find that on all measures of deprivation, inner London comes out significantly worse. So what we find is that in inner London, 31% of households with children have got nobody working. In outer London, the figure is 18%. Now, this is still above the national average, which is 17%, um, and therefore still a cause for concern. But it is obviously quite a lot less than, than what's happening in inner London. If we compare with other regions, again with this caveat about comparing London with regions, then we find that um, London is um, the region with the highest percentage of households with children with nobody working. The next um, highest is the northeast at 21%. I say these, these figures are not particularly surprising. It's because they fit a very well-established pattern, which we've become increasingly familiar with over recent years, um, which is that on most measures of, of deprivation, of disadvantage, particularly when they're associated with the labor market, London and the Northeast tend to come out very, very close. On some measures, the Northeast is slightly higher. On some measures, London is slightly higher. Um, but generally, they tend to vie with each other for the position of most deprived region. And we should recognize that this is a relatively new phenomenon. Up until the turn of the 1990s, London had an enviably low unemployment rate compared to other parts of, of the United Kingdom, one of the lowest in, in the United Kingdom, not as low as the Southeast, which is always the lowest, but nonetheless um, significantly lower than, say, in the West Midlands and the North, and certainly, certainly lower than the Northeast. At some stage between 1988 and 1991, London's relative position began to shift significantly with the result that on a number of measures, including unemployment and the actual employment rate, the percentage of all people of working age who are working, London and the Northeast now wind up at the bottom of the, of the rankings with all other regions doing significantly better. So the phenomenon of poor labor market outcomes in London is not uh, something which has been there for all eternity. It's something which seems to have developed as a consequence, presumably, of economic changes uh, during the late 1980s and early 1990s. And it hasn't changed that much since then. So London's relative position has not actually improved over the 1990s, even though on other measures, such as GDP growth or the sheer number of jobs in London or population growth, London has actually seems to be doing rather well it's on the social indicators that London is, relatively speaking, not doing well at all. So, as I say, this very high percentage of ch households with children with nobody working doesn't come as a total surprise. It obviously goes a very far way towards explaining why child poverty in London is the worst in the United Kingdom. What did come as a surprise um, was what's happened when we start comparing households with children 
and households without children. Um, and in order to carry out this comparison, we ranked every single local authority district in England and Wales on the difference in rates of employment between households with children and households without children. To give an example, um, in England and Wales, 17% of households with dependent children have got no adult in employment. In England and Wales, 16% of households without dependent children have got no adult in employment. And we're excluding pensioner-only households here, so these are all working age households, broadly speaking. Um, now in London, what we find is that 23% of households with children have got nobody in employment, but only 16% of households without children. So there's a very marked difference between these two different household types in London, which doesn't appear at national level. At national level, the difference is one percentage point, um, whereas you know, in, in, in London, it's seven percentage points, which is of a different order of magnitude. So in order to see whether this pattern was repeated elsewhere, we ranked every single local authority district in England and Wales on this single measure, what's the difference between households with children and households without children in terms of employment. And the results that came out of that were quite remarkable um, because every single position at the top of this ranking was occupied by London boroughs. The table is reproduced in this briefing document for anybody who wants to see it. Um, not only that, but this difference in rates of employment between these two household types of seven percentage points in London was unmatched anywhere else in the country in any urban or rural area in, at every um, administrative level. There was no example elsewhere in the country that was remotely comparable. Um, so what we seem to have in London was a phenomenon in which households with dependent children were coming out much, much worse in the labor market than households with children, without, sorry, households without children. Um, and this does not seem to be what's happening elsewhere in the country. Oddly enough, if you look at the uh, northern authorities in these deprived parts of the north of England, what we tend to find is that households with children do slightly better. They're more likely to have some unemployment than households without children. In London, the reverse is the case. And as I say, the scale of the disparity is something that we don't find anywhere else in the, in the United Kingdom. We also want to look at how this broke down in terms of ethnicity, uh, given the 41% the of London's population, London's child population, who are from a black and minority ethnic group. And um, obviously from other data, we expected to find a very strong overrepresentation of, of many of London's minority ethnic groups. Um, so again, this is a case where because the, the results from our analysis fit in very well with previous bits of analysis that have been done, we couldn't describe these as being totally surprising. But I will cite some of the figures anyway. Um, among black Caribbean children at greater London level, 31% are living in workless households, households with no adult in employment. Um, among Bangladeshi children, 40%. Among black African children, and as I've pointed out, this is the fastest growing group in London, 39%. Um, and among children whose parents are, who are of mixed white and Caribbean 
parentage, again, 40%. These are the groups which come out worst in this comparison by ethnic group. There are possibly interesting results with regard to the white population. If we look at the white population in London, 20% of children are in workless households. Um, but when we compare inner London and outer London, we find very striking differences. So in inner London, some 28% of white children are living in workless households, compared to 17% um, in outer London. So um, the, the impact of social class and social differentiation in the white population um, seems to be clearly visible in terms of what's happening to, um, to households with young children in between inner and outer London. Um, the other thing which does come out very, very strongly from this analysis uh, is the, uh, the very poor outcomes for children um, in some mixed groups. And the, uh, the mixed category was actually introduced in the 2001 census previously. Um, children of mixed parentage were assigned to various other categories. I'd like to wind this up now. Again, my apologies for turning up so late. I'm not entirely sure what time it is now. Um, what I wanted to do was to, to give some idea of the kind of work that we're doing at the Greater London Authority on the back of the 2001 census um, and hopefully to pull out um, some of the themes from what can be a rather, I suppose, arid and technical analysis which may have implications for policymakers, uh, for commentators, uh, for politicians. Um, as I say, I mean, a lot of the analysis that we undertake is intended in the medium term to contribute to the development of, of GLA group policy. Um, we start off from a very, very technical number crunching exercises, which are a very, very long way away from policy. But as in the examples I've cited about children in workless households, the policy relevance of this kind of number crunching is, is very apparent. Thank you very much. For all information, please go to our website at www.gresham.ac.uk.